Well, you know what time it is. It's another week on Auto Catch-Up, your weekly news podcast where we talk everything about the latest motorsport, Aussie automotive news, and international automotive news. And uh, this week, we've got a lot of news to get through. Obviously, we've got the wrap-up of the Bathurst 1000. Um, Also, the results from the Eiffel GP last week at the Nürburgring for Formula One. We have some other interesting news as well. We've got the um, Channel 9 choosing to ditch car advice and to launch under the Drive branding for their new automotive news, as well as a few other bits and pieces uh, along the way. But to talk through all of that with me, I've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Welcome, Joel. Hey, Ash. Have you been this week? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, things are starting to slightly ease up here in Victoria. We've had a couple of changes um, that take effect in a couple of hours' time uh, as of Sunday night, so uh, more social restrictions. So uh, you're now allowed to leave, to travel up to 25 kilometres from your home as opposed to five. Oh, wow. uh, there's now no time limit. You can be out of your house, so no longer mm-hmm. have to do your exercise or your social gathering within two hours. You actually don't have a time limit. Uh, so that's a couple of changes. But we do have a bit of a plan Moving forward, um, we only had uh, we've had quite low cases the last couple of days. We've actually had less cases than Sydney and New South Wales, so um, things are looking pretty good here. They are being very cautious, which is understandable. But um, yeah, and I've been back to doing a little bit of work this week because um, uh, some of the uh, areas that I work in are, have been allowed to do a bit of return to work. So uh, that's been good to to be back out and active. And it actually hasn't been too bad of weather this week. It's been nice to be out in the sun. So yeah, what about you? What have you been driving this? Uh, so I'm in the CHR hybrid this week again. So I've been lucky enough to have that for a couple of weeks. So we just filmed the uh, the video review for that today. So we'll um, we'll have that up for you to watch soon. Um, we do have we sort of work that we're sort of on a off week cadence just in case you've been hanging out for for things that we've been driving. So just keep an eye out for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the daily autofix youtube channel um but it's been a good continuance of my experience from last week which we talked about on last week's episode so fuel economy has remained really strong at 4.6 um or sort of hovering between 4.5 and 4.6 liters per 100 just a hair off that 4.3 off the claimed fuel economy and so i kind of think in my head oh look that's close enough to the margin of error and so that is just short of being bang on what they're claiming, which is a pretty rare thing. Uh, but it's certainly not an impossible feat when you have a hybrid, and as you learn to drive it a little bit, lo- you know, a little bit better, you really start to find that balance of throttle control to to kind of keep it in the range of which the electric motor can can operate in. So even when you're crawling along traffic or accelerating, depending on what you're trying to achieve, of course, but you can really get the most out of it and even get probably get that fuel economy figure even lower if you take advantage of the eco mode or even the eco uh, air conditioning for the heat and cooling if you want to go sort of to the nth degree. This week, though, things, it, you know, the, the temperature has been heating up again. Today, we had 29 degrees uh, for a spring day, and so it gets quite warm. And probably the thing that I've been starting to miss in a top-of-the-line car, so the Cobra is the, like, there's only two models to choose from, but it is the, the top model to choose. So you've got the GXL and then the Cobra. 
and I feel like that you you are missing something like cooled seats. That would have been a really nice thing to have, particularly up here with the leather seats. The heat just seems to hold in it. You know, with like the heat you said, and with leather. So, what spec level is that one? Is that so, like mid or is it? So no. So there's only two models. You've got the GXL, which is the entry level, and then you've got the Cobra, which is that top model. It's it's kind of weird how they've listed it because it's not really like any other. Um, hierarchy of models which we have seen in the past from other cars it's kind of they've done their own little you know it's a it's familiar with when you've got the GXL you kind of know where that sits but yeah it, it can be a little bit confusing but when you look at it on the spec sheet it goes yeah GXL and that is just uh, there's no hybrid option at that trim level and then in the Cobra you have three different options to choose from so you have the non-hybrid two-wheel drive um, the non-hybrid all-wheel drive or the two-wheel drive hybrid option and so I'm not too sure how many people will be wanting all-wheel drive in a in a small SUV like it is and I think the in reality the the cost difference of about three thousand dollars between the two different two-wheel drive models really kind of makes the non-hybrid Cobra models not even worth just kind of considering um, at that price point because you're going to make that money back in that fuel in those fuel savings as well as just I think the overall driving enjoyment that you get by having just acquired a ride when you're crawling around in the city you um there's less wear and tear so your brakes and things like that will last longer like what many people found when owning Prius models like particularly taxis they realized that they weren't going through consumables as fast because the wear and tear on those items is dramatically reduced when you have a an electric motor there that sort of takes over a few of those key little bits and pieces like like your braking it's certainly assisted with the hybrid system so I think, um, yeah, and, and this is what we said in the, in the video review today was that, yeah, for about 40,000, 41,000 driveway, depending on what state you're in, there's just no point considering the non-hybrid. And if you are looking in that in that range, like even against the, the Mazdas, the, the Nissan Duke, nobody else does a hybrid model in this size or class of vehicles. So also, if you are hunting for a hybrid model, this is really your only option. And I think it's uh, with the number of hybrid CHRs I am seeing out on the road, and this, you know, it's not scientific. I'm not, you know, we don't have explicit sales numbers available, but I'm seeing more and more of these hybrid models and the CHRs are quite popular. And um, yeah, I... I think it's a, a perhaps a little bit of a missed opportunity at the moment, and we'll get into it a little bit later. But I think it's probably partially partially the reason why Mitsubishi are even with the updated Eclipse Cross, which has had a little bit of success in the updated model, is also coming out not straight away, but coming soon in a plug-in hybrid model. So I think that's probably going to be the first key bit of competition that CHR might see. I know the sizing is a little bit different, but it's probably the most direct competition it might have in terms of if you're looking for a hybrid or a hybrid electric kind of vehicle. But I've, I've kind of enjoyed it over time. 
over, over the last couple of weeks. It will be interesting. Uh, next week, I am jumping into two Outlander models from Mitsubishi, the Outlander Exceed, so their top-of-the-range model for the Outlander, as well as the Outlander Fev, so the plug-in hybrid, GSR, which just got announced, uh, I think, over the last oh, couple of weeks ago now. Yeah. So um, when I was on the phone to them talking about another car, they said, oh, look, oh, we've had the GSRs. Do you, have, do you have some time available? And I said, not really, but I've got the Outlander next week. How about we do a double up and, and really do a comparison between the two? Because we know that we've, you know, on the show here, we've, we've spoken to amongst the three of us, Mick and, and yourself, of what advantages the FEV does have, but also those trade-offs. And so it'd be nice to have both of those models, a standard model, um, which is just pure internal combustion, as well as a plug-in hybrid, and going, well, what are those direct things that you gain or lose by going either way? And um, particularly with a slightly sportier option this time in the GSR, so you get sportier seats which are mixed between like a i think it's not alcantara but a suede and leather you get different suspension uh sportier external looks and um yeah that's going to be a interesting comparison yeah will be particularly just between the two um between what the fev's like and what because he exceeds the petrol engine isn't yeah yeah so it'll be interesting to see what kind of um what kind of a you know what kind of economy difference you get you know you got a week in each or uh, so we have a week yeah a full week for at the same time so and that's exactly what you're saying because we haven't the fev in the outlander isn't exactly like say as far advanced as what we've seen in the Hyundai Ionic plug-in hybrid and so the range is a little bit shorter in this one it has certainly come a long way since it was first introduced and i am secretly a little bit disappointed that we have we aren't seeing a new a, you know a totally new outlander model just yet um i was like oh come on don't give us more special editions give us a new one but they have made some changes in this car some tweaks which i think is very much welcome um and and hopefully we'll you know again further that fev experience particularly when we get a chance to directly compare it between those two yeah it'll be interesting if you could do sort of back-to-backs um on them over the same route yeah you know if you've got a driver route that you use it'd be interesting to see what they're like back-to-back if you can um see what the economy like if there is a big you know big difference and stuff Mm. like that so and what kind of range you get with the fev as well Absolutely. Well, um, stay tuned for that, and uh, make sure if you if you if you haven't subscribed to us, make sure you subscribe, and you'll get the answer to that next week. Uh, but let's dive into some motorsport news. We had the Bathurst One Thousand on over the weekend, and um, look, I, uh, I I was obviously filming today and wasn't able to keep up with the race fully. But I've uh, before we started, I managed to watch the highlights, and boy. Was it a race that was completely, um, you know, it wasn't short of drama, was it? No, it wasn't. It was, um, you know, it was, you know, the opening race, there was not a lot that happened 
to start away. I think the real first set of accident was when we lost uh, previous winner. You know, Winkup made a made an error of judgment, um, and he fully admitted it. It was quite mature of him afterwards when he was interviewed in the pits that he overestimated. You know, he ran he ran out of skill and clearly admitted <laughs> that he made a mistake coming up into the cutting while he was dicing with um, a couple of fellow drivers and literally the back end just sort of stepped out. He said he, he kind of um, went a bit hard on the tyres, lower down on the, uh, earlier in the in the course and just overcooked it coming up to the cutting and, and ploughed into the wall. Um, and literally that ended his, his and Craig Lowndes' uh, day um, quite early uh, in the day, which was sad for them. Um, and then we had um, a couple other guys having some technical issues. Um, Rick Kelly had a clutch issue in their Mustang early um, but yeah it all kind of came down to the last couple of laps where we had a couple of safety cars to um, literally and we went down finished up with a, a literally a sort of a for uh, we were into a seven lap sprint and then we had another safety car uh, and we ended up with like a four or five lap sprint to the finish um, and you know uh, Shane Van Gisberg. I think they kind of had the wind sewn up when there was a little bit of rain earlier in the day and the track was very greasy. But like anything at Bathurst, it was wet up top but dry down the bottom and uh, across the top of the mountain, it was quite, you know, hairy. And, you know, Scotty McLaughlin charged away from the start of the race. But when the rain came, he kind of took, decided to just take it easy. I think their car setup wasn't ideally set up for the wet. Um, and SVG just basically set a plaid on it and leapt ahead and, and uh, Cameron Walden. That is really also, his speciality. Yeah, and he just knows how to take a car when it's slippery underneath. He's a drifter. He knows how to drift. So um, he's actually going rally driving against Greg Murphy in a couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes doing that. Um, but, yeah, he just literally sort of ran away. Um, I really look like Cam Walters and, and Will Davidson. We're going to probably take the win for a while. But Shane and, you know, just the the, the smartness of Triple Eight with the way that they run their um, their pit stops and their strategy and yeah and they ended up winning, running away with it but it was good to see sort of obviously for the Holden fans it's their last time the Commodore will run um, with official Holden backing uh, next yeah. year I think they'll run it again um, but what they're going to run the year after we'll talk about shortly uh, but yeah it was good to see the Mustang up there uh, with Walters and Davidson in second and then Chas um, and Warren Luff uh, in third for Walkinshaw so um, and this was Van Gisbergen's first win and Tander's now fourth yeah so that was and, and for someone like Van Gisbergen who is a you know, he's been around supercars for a little while now. And to me, when I read that it was his first win, I go, really? I could have sworn that he's, um, you know, he's won this race before, but obviously not. And um, I think like what you were saying with the skills in the slightly damp weather really showed off. And probably this this year, it also showed his supreme knowledge of Bathurst because obviously he's had a lot of experience now in GT3 class racing at Bathurst, and um, so it's probably it's about time that he's had that win because he's certainly got he's done the miles for it. 
Yeah. So he's won the 12 hour before, but never won the, the 1000. So yeah, I was kind of sort of blown away by that stat as well. I hadn't even kind of realized, but when you look back at it, it it's been more a, a wing cup at Lounge kind of dominance, yeah. you know, for, for the last few years that have won it for Red Bull. So um, he was very close a couple of years ago and just had, didn't have the luck that weekend. But um, yeah, look, it's, you know, it was a, it was a good race. Um, you know, lots of really good racing, lots of um, tight, uh, racing, but yeah, it was kind of let down in the end. It was a shame we had those. I mean, the safety car meant that it did, you know, close up the field in the in the latter part of the race. But um, it was so weird looking watching the race with no fans. Um, watching that footage across the top of the mountain, it was just bizarre. Having been there and stood on, at the top of the mountain, it's just it's so weird to see yeah. it empty. Um, really but, miss you know, the, the Ford and Holden flags and the, yeah. and the 4X flags. The, the, the cheer when he was on his last lap and he went across the top of the mountain, um, you know, on that last lap, you normally just hear that crowd noise and it's just deafening and it's just an amazing noise. But, yeah, it just uh, it just didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it, it's, it was good to see, you know, Holden take out the win with SVG and, and Red Bull. Um, but it also meant that Scotty McLaughlin is the official Supercars Championship he, champion. He finished and he celebrated with a ripper burnout. So good that it destroyed the back tyres and all the rear quarter, quarter panel of the car. He just went absolutely nuts across the top of the mountain. Um, he was told by the TV to put on a show and he certainly did. Yeah. But they, you know, um, uh, Penske DGR also took out the team's championship as well. Um, and they also took out, they've taken out the manufacturer championship. So they've had, they've had a good win. They just didn't win Bathurst. They won virtually everything else um, <laughs> because wing cup crashed out. There was, uh, it meant that it was an easy win to take out the teams for, for you know, for SV, for uh, DGR. But the interesting thing is they interviewed Roger Penske before the start of the race. And, you know, he did make a comment that, you know, that if they win the teams, it means a good position for next year for the teams in pit lane. So, you know, the rumour is that, or has been, that will they actually um, be continuing? Will Penske continue next year with the with the team? Will Scotty continue? He still has a year left on his contract. Yeah. Um, he does jump on a plane, I, I believe, tonight or tomorrow to head across to St. Petersburg to run um, in the next... Uh, the last IndyCar race of the season. At least he um, should sleep well on the plane, I don't mean. I think he'll sleep well, very well. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully while he's over there, he can actually go because uh, his wife is from the US, so hopefully they can go and visit some family while they're there. I know that America's in a bit of a, a bit of a mess at this week, you know, at this time with what's happening with their restrictions and, and just their outbreaks and stuff like that. But hopefully mm-hmm. Scotty can um, do see the family and, and, and do that sort of stuff um, with Carly while he's there. Um, but, yeah, yeah, next weekend he will be in an IndyCar for um, Penske and they are fighting for the championship as well. Um, I believe one or two of their drivers are in the running. But, um, yeah, we next Sunday uh, our time and then Monday morning early our time um, we'll actually have the, the race. So final race of the season, um, the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Um, I'm super excited. I can't wait to watch Scotty in an IndyCar. Um, he know, he's quick in it. Um, you know, he was quick at the test at, um, at uh, Texas earlier in the year. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I'm – Texas? 
Houston, no, uh, right. Oh, got a mental blank. Um, the circuit of the Americas. Circuit. I was going to say circuit in America. Yeah, somewhere. circuit of America. So when he was there for the test, he did uh, he did really well. So um, yeah, I'm excited to watch and see um, how he goes. Uh, I hope that he gets a top ten finish. You know, a podium would be brilliant. But yeah. you know, hopefully uh, it'll be uh, it'll be it'll be good to watch. So yeah, that's next weekend. So um, by the time we record next week, we'll probably have an idea where he's going to start from because qualifying will, will be done. Um, but yeah, that should be very very interesting to watch. Um, uh, and see how he goes because the rumor is that he might go there full time next year. But you know we have to wait and see now. Well, that's certainly be an interesting um, prospect, and I guess another Aussie to then follow over in in IndyCar. We've sort of had yeah. slowly a, a stream of of Australian drivers well, head over there. He's in good company. Will Power is uh, obviously a driver, and, yeah. and uh, well, we all well fellow Kiwi um, Scotty Dixon is also running True. in it as well. So he'll have you know he'll have some local friends effectively if he does go over. And um, Penske, you oh, know, that's right. I, can, I keep forgetting the the Kiwis that mix in. But anyway, they're yeah. all one and the same when they go to. Over or when they're winning, we like to you know say that they're one of our own. But, uh, when <laughs> they're not, right. you know, that we would disown them. But yeah, it's good to see that you know there'll be a couple over there. He'll be in real good company um so yeah that's ex- you know that's ex- exciting stuff for yeah. him and um i really hope that you know he if he doesn't do it if he does return next year and does do supercars then it, it's at least the year after because he's such a talent um and you know supercars has been good for him but he needs to to broaden his horizon i'd yeah. love to see him to go and do a full indycar season even do maybe a couple of nascar appearances but even Penske is getting out of sports cars, but you know if they'll allow him maybe to do some, you know, some driving with some other people within sports cars, if that's if that can be allowed. But yeah, he's such a talent. Um, yeah, you know, he's wasted for that. He stays here for the rest of his career. Mm. And um, a little bit more on uh, supercars. We've got Gen Three teased for. 2022 so and then the prospect of that we might see the camaro under gmsv yeah so what they've said uh they've announced this week they've we've been getting little bits of tidbits about um gen 3 which is uh the involvement of um car of tomorrow into the gen 2 and and everything else so this is going to be the next sort of series of supercars which won't run next year but it'll run the year after from 2022 um they will be could be have also been confirmed this week that they will be V8 powered. They won't. They've moved away from the idea of running an alternative, whether it be you know S um, V6 hybrid or turbocharged or something like that. So they will be V8. So the fans will be happy about that. Um, they have confirmed that um, Holden uh, uh, Triple Yeah, Triple GM Race tomorrow. GM um, have been in, in talks with uh, a combination of. You know what? What will become GMSV and then yeah. um, GM in the US and and whatever else? And they have come to an agreement with supercars that they will allow them to run the the Camaro ZL1, um, and obviously Ford will continue as well. But this new Gen Three will be um, they're changing particularly the roof line and the roll cage setup so that they can be set up to run as a traditional car design. So the pictures that are released this week from Hughes Motorsport uh, Art Design and Supercars show the cars looking very much like the road versions. Yeah, they look brilliant. Yeah, they look really, really good. So um, there is talk. There's been also a lot of other talk that there are the manufacturers 
interested. This change of design and, and allowing it to be more the profile of a normal road car has apparently interested a lot of other manufacturers. Yeah. Um, Walkinshaw came out during the week and said they, they're confirmed to stay in supercars, but they haven't said what brand they're going to stay with. They are possibly mm. talking to another brand um, and there's possibly maybe an idea of who they're talking with, which we'll talk about shortly in another news story. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, there, there's all, there's lots of talk happening. Um, it, supercars are saying that they're also talking to, to brands. Um, so yeah, it's exciting to see, you know, we could see, um, you know, Kia with something that's based on the, on the stinger Nissan, you know, they've always said maybe the GDR or the three, the new Z. Um, so yeah, you look at any of those sort of two door sports cars. Um, I mean, the stinger is four, but you know, you, there's, there's always talk of, you know, maybe BMW coming back or Honda or, you know, there, there's a variety of, of, of brands out there uh, it would good to, good to see at least one other brand come in um but possibly even more but yeah i mean torta could come in with the supra um you know it, it's it, it the world you know it, it's open to lots of interpretation but i think we'll probably start seeing some hopefully you know and um supercars also announced during the week that they are building a prototype at the moment so we will get to see one of these probably on track or doing some demos next year at supercar rounds um so that's exciting um and they're also talking that um that our first round next year will probably be at bathurst as well so um it could be um the championship will probably be back there in about four months and unfortunately they can't run it as a 500 um because that is that rights are owned by tcr so it could be a um you know two two fifty races or something like that um so yeah that will be interesting to, to see that as the yeah. start of the season next yeah. year yeah. Um, before we run to Adelaide, possibly after that. But the calendar is due, I believe, in the next month or so maybe. Um, so we're excited to follow and see what um, what happens there. But, yeah, there's lots happening at the moment mm. um, with this talk of this new Gen 3 and, and both Ford and um, GM are excited by it. The Camaro looks amazing. The Mustang looks really good because it is based on its, you know, pure road design. But it's just like way better proportionally, isn't yeah. it? it just it's looks... proper proportions. It, it, yeah. And they have to use um, some of the rules that they're talking about that will be is they have to run um, bonnet, boot, uh, bonnet, roof, doors, I believe, all have to run the road car design. Right. Um, so that, you know, that alone um, means that it's a lot closer to, you know, the design of, of the road cars and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, cool. it's pre- pretty exciting. But, yeah, um, probably... I don't know whether as exciting, but it was last weekend watching the Eiffel GP where we had um, our man on the podium. Yeah, so it's uh, it was it was an interesting race. Uh, nonetheless, it was a lot of great performances from uh, a number of drivers and teams. Obviously, uh Sitter Valtteri Bottas didn't quite make it through. He suffered a power unit problem and that opened obviously the door wide open for Lewis Hamilton who's the current champion leader uh, um, and driver for Mercedes fellow teammate of Bottas uh, slot right into the prime position uh, for and to claim the 91st pole matching Michael Schumacher's record 
of number of wins in of Grand Prix in Formula One, and um, that was nice. Nicely, uh, it was topped off by Mick Schumacher's son of Michael Schumacher uh, gifting Lewis Hamilton um, a helmet of Michael's at the end of the at the end of the race. But yeah, yeah. it was. Um, um, but then we had uh, obviously a little bit of uh, drama. And obviously, Max Max Verstappen took the second pole position again, uh, claiming uh, another another non-winning podium for the the for the season, and um, with a well fought out third place won by our man Dan Daniel Ricciardo, and uh, he was so. So excited and uh, so happy about that claim. He forgot to do a shoey, and um, there's some great footage circling around of where the um, he was doing a post race interview, and um, they said, "Oh, you, you, you didn't do your, you didn't do a shoey. Were you planning on doing it, or did you not decide to to do it?" And you could just see in his eyes, like it was a legitimate. It wasn't acted of just he legitimately forgot. Um, to do it, he got caught up with all the things that was happening, and uh, forgot. So we did that later on um, in his uh, accommodation at the track, uh, and post that just uh, to to do the celebration. Um, but it was also so it was a number of great performances, well fought out by. Um, uh, Perez, Sergio Perez, who claimed fourth for the racing point, and um, driver of the, driver of the day was Nico Hulkenberg, who finished or who qualified last uh, P twenty, and uh, fought his way all the way up to to P eight uh, to finish. So not only just finishing in the points, but convincingly finishing the points, and um, I think uh, more than more than enough proving uh, that he is more than capable of, and and, and should be. Uh, within the the realm of consideration for a seat for next year, and that's where plenty of uh, rumours of now flying. Mel- Helmet Marco has also casually mentioned that he is um, obviously in in the discussions for the second seat at uh, at Red Bull, um, given that Red Bull might not be keeping Alexander Albon in that second seat as performance, whether it's, you know, it's it's due to his performances or due to a car not really being set up for him and, and being completely tailored to, to Max Verstappen. Um, but that seat could be potentially open and um, there's a number of drivers circling around uh, within the realm of discussion of or realm of consideration for that seat. And obviously now nobody else who had who doesn't have a seat um, or even who does currently have a seat is um, obviously the best way to prove that you deserve a seat is by doing exactly what you did or what what Hockenberg did is um, take advantage of an opportunity presented and um, and absolutely deliver it. So that was um, exactly. Uh, so that was fantastic and um, a little bit more F1 news. So we've had. Uh, Fernando Alonso back in Barcelona with the 2020 car of Renault before it becomes Alpine uh, for for next season. But obviously, it's part of the the work that Renault are putting in uh, to get not only Alonso uh, a bit more um, acquainted with the current vehicle and obviously the changes that are happening, but obviously ramping up their car development for next season as well. And if you have a driver that's more than willing to put in the time, uh, obviously during that car's development before the season starts, you can take advantage of 
you know, and, and start tailoring things that you prefer as a driver um, in those early stages of vehicle development. So that's obviously a lot of exciting news to follow. The expectations are quite high with Alonso um, going back to, to Renault or what will be um, Alpine. And um, yeah, obviously with the, the cars and the and, and the setup that we've got, obviously they're hitting a bit of a stride at the moment um, in their 2020 vehicle, obviously with, uh, with Ricardo and even Ocon to a certain degree with the performance they've been doing. So it's um it could be just the, the perfect storm for, for Renault being uh, competitive, not just uh, for the remainder of this year, but also into next year ahead of the regulation changes in 2022. And the feedback that he'll be able to offer as well, I think will be probably invaluable as well. Absolutely. Um, but so a little bit more on the F1 as well. So there's currently discussion around that um, the Formula 1 management uh, as they're looking towards next year now, as we are heading rapidly into the end of the season for 2020 of obviously the calendar for, for next year. They're expecting it to be a lot more normal. Uh, compared to what we had with the whirlwind of changes and last-minute additions of tracks that um, and, and tracks that we haven't seen in a long time. But one thing that might be uh, might be happening is that the Australian Grand Prix might not be the first race of the 2021 calendar. Obviously, as we've been talking for the last 31 weeks now, uh, the numerous lockdowns and quarantine uh, changes that we've had, the uh, different second waves and all that kind of thing, all the uncertainty around that and even just the slight emergence of a travel or one-way travel bubble we've got uh, starting with New Zealand is that Formula One management obviously aren't wanting to, to take too many bets with it next year and would rather move the race later into the year if it means that there's a greater chance of that race going ahead and having people either A, attend, or B, uh, streamlining the process for teams and drivers uh, that are involved. Obviously, Formula One is not a small um, operation. It is an extremely large one, and there's, um, yeah, obviously that that intention to to make the operation for next year as smooth as possible um, without having last minute changes because that costs a lot of money costs a lot of time and um stress for, for a lot of people so stay tuned on that one and um obviously as victoria emerges in australia um hopefully new Ze- uh, hopefully new south wales isn't on the verge of a new resurgence hopefully it's just a, a little cluster and they can get on top of that so we can perhaps see the australian grand prix back at the start of the calendar but as long as we get it as long as we get it in the calendar, I think I'll be okay with that. Yeah, if it happens to be that it gets moved to a later time, you know, they're talking maybe April, so be it. But you know, as long as it's like you said, Ash, as long as it's on the calendar, I think that's the I think the thing that that's the thing we're all hoping for. Exactly. Well, um, so we had some updates from the Rebel Rally. Joel, anything? Yes, uh, the Rebels all finished. Uh, I've been following the results during the week. Um, it's been interesting to watch. I actually went on a bit of a <laughs> tweet. Uh, sort of uh, when I further on from what we talked about last week, I, I did a bit of a, um, I got a response from uh, the rebel. They retweeted one of my tweets when I talked about some of the manufacturer involvement because Lexus actually um, commented about it during the week. And then, so I went and found all the rest of the manufacturers that we kind of talked about last week. So including um, Lexus, uh, Rivian, um, Mitsubishi, Nissan, uh, Infinity, um 
uh, Kia uh, and, you know, we're all obviously involved in some way or another. And, and yes, yeah, so I followed the results during the week and the winner ended up being a Jeep JLU uh, driven oh, by really? Kaylee Miller and Terrell and Pederit. I probably butchered those names. But the um, the Lexus um, LX570 finished uh, in second. Um, with That was a uh, great car. I love that. Rochelle Croft and Taylor Pauly. And then in third was uh, 2018 Jeep Ranga Willys, driven by Christine Benzie and Emily Benzie. Um, and they are actually in the bone stock class. So um, they were actually... Um, Great effort. Uh, yeah, third in a bone stock car. So um, Emmy Hall and Rebecca Donahue, who are in the Rivian, finished sixth in the end. They were leading for a couple of days, and mm-hmm. I haven't been able to catch up fully on on what happened to them. Um, but, yeah, they dropped down the, the list after a couple of days. Um, they were up there for a little bit, but then all of a sudden they had, they had an issue. Um, and then in the X-Cross class, um, Shelby Hall, who is the granddaughter of Ron Hall, who used to race the Bronco um, in the Baja, um, who was driving a new Bronco Sport, finished first. Um, and then the Kia Telluride with Sabrina Howes and Alyssa Ronek, Renig uh, finished second. And then the Outlander Fev uh, finished third with Rachel Ridenor and Christy Levy. So, um, nice. so yeah, that was good to see that they were in there. Um so yeah, it was uh, it was a, a good event. They actually finished up um, a day or two ago, and then they had a a couple of like they have their official dinner and, and stuff like that, and then they yeah. had a challenge for um, a, like a after the event to see who could change a tire the fastest and and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, I need to try and find a, a wrap up video and watch all the highlights, but I've just been keeping an eye on the results. It was kind of the first thing I did when checking email the morning was just jump on and see what the results were like. But yeah. Great to see that, um, you know, it was another successful event. Uh, they were all wearing masks and they were all hanging out in the middle of the desert somewhere. So uh, it was pretty cool to, to see that. There's some great photos that appeared during the week on online. So, um, yeah, congrats to the winners. And, yeah, we look forward to following again uh, next year. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly a, a great mixture of vehicles. I think that's probably the, um, and, and like I said earlier, I'm a big fan of that Lexus. <laughs> I think it was so cool. Um, and uh, But glad there was a lot of good results and not too many uh, sort of stories of disaster. I think that's always the, the thing um, with a rally. Um, Nothing I was... could see in terms of retirements and stuff like that. I think um, everyone managed to get through it. And um, yeah, um, it's good to see. Uh, that's great. Well, let's move on. So let's jump back to the Nürburgring for a little second. So Nico Rosberg, um, Formula One champion from, I think it was a 2016 season for Mercedes. Yep, correct. Yeah. So um, yeah, he was testing the fully electric IDR um, at the Nürburgring. And um, boy, it's a like, you know, as as we've been talking about the IDR in previous episodes, it's a 500-kilowatt electric race car. And, um, yeah, it was just amazing to see some of the laps that he was doing. The specs on this thing is insane. Um, the acceleration is, I think it's faster than a Formula 1 car. Um and, uh, yeah, it's a great video worth watching. Uh, we'll post it in the show notes for you to check out. And, um, yeah, I think it was just a, a cool thing to see. And, a, and someone like this who has been um, in the past a bit of a, 
I think he, you know he has tested Formula E cars in the past and provided input on those. So obviously, you know he's a he's a great um, person to to be looking forward. And um, you know, sure, it's a little bit of PR, but um, it's another thing to sort of you know use someone like this to to help promote and um, create a bit more excitement around uh, these types of vehicles. The fact that the Volkswagen have let a couple of different people drive it now is really cool. Yeah. You know, so uh, Nico's driven, driven it. Uh, Chris Harris has driven it. Um, it was supposed to be at the Goodwill um, Speed Festival this weekend. They were running at the racetrack, but um, due to COVID and stuff, they decided against it because they didn't want to risk um, any of their staff and stuff like that, which is fully understandable. But um, it currently holds, you know, the record at Pikes Peak and um, in Tiananmen, uh, mountain in China um, currently holds um, also the, the the fully electric lap at the ring and also Blisterberg as well. So, um, yeah, great that they gave Nico a steer um, and let him have a bit of a go. So uh, that was uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't know, do you think we'll see a, a racing series around this, a limited racing series? Uh, I don't maybe? think we'll ever see like that. I, mm. I think that maybe... Depending, I mean, hopefully Volkswagen are maybe sitting back and looking at Jaguar with their iPay series and yeah. they might like to, to get involved and, and create something like that with one of their ID cars. Yeah. Um, that would be cool to see. But whether or not they, the other option is if they go down the route and get involved with um, Rallycross and, and they get involved to help them make a, um electric car. I mean, currently there's a Focus and the Citroen and V-Dub have, been involved with um, golfs with you know the normal petrol based um, rally cross cars. So it'd be good to see if they were to make a electric version of that, taking some of the tech yeah. from the ID um, IDR. So yeah, look, who knows? But it'd be interesting to see. I think as more of these brands work into this, you know, they're promoting their full electric, particularly Volkswagen with their ID brand. Um, I would hope that somewhere along the line they would bring a give us an all electric race car to, to be able to to check out. Absolutely, and um, particularly with the the types of um, I'm a big fan of the Starling. Uh, so yeah, it's a and and they're using a lot of the tech in the ID vehicles as well. The ID four they they specifically mentioned. So there is some learning coming out of it, um, and obviously the application of those bits and pieces. However. This is probably a little bit more exciting to the petrol heads. <laughs> and this one is Subaru uh, of America today revealing the WXSTI that, you know, they say it's the most outrageous one ever. Um, custom built, tire destroyer set to star in the next installment of Hoonigan's Jim Carner video series. Uh, so this one will be featuring Subaru Motorsports USA driver Travis Pastrana at the wheel. And, um, yeah, it's a very mean-looking car. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So at the end of Jim Carter 10, um, we had a teaser that Travis was going to be involved in the next series. And um, Block has said that um, he's going to hand the hand the, the, the baton to, to Travis to run the next one. And so, you know, Travis has been a Subaru driver for the last few years. So we knew something was going to be happening. So the guys at Subaru and um, Vermont Sport Cars, who have been in charge of Subaru's motorsport program over the last few years, particularly with the, um, the Rally Championship, 
championship cars, um, and I believe also the Rallycross series, when there was a Rallycross series running in the US, um, they've got together and built this thing. And it actually, um, there was a video that debuted during the week from Hooniverse, uh, sorry, Hoonigan, um, that featured the uh, car being, you know, tested for the first time and um, with the guys showing him, you know, what needed to be to be done in terms of how to drive it on a course and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch all the video. I started watching it uh, during the week but um, didn't get a chance to finish it. But I'm looking forward to, to seeing, you know, what they end up doing with this thing in Jim Carter and, and when it will be released. Uh, that's the other big question, obviously, with a lot of restrictions and stuff in the US. When are they planning on filming it? Um, you know, I think generally that as much as they try and hide it as much as possible, there are generally some um, images that, 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 that leak out uh, of the test and when they're starting to film it. So um, hopefully we'll get maybe an idea of when it's being created. Um, and then obviously the teasers will start with them as well. So, uh, yeah, it looks pretty awesome. It looks good to be in terms of tyre frying. So. So uh, it should be an exciting mm. thing to to watch when it uh, it finally gets unleashed. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll all wait with bated breath for that one. No mention of power, which is an interesting thing. So yeah. I'm intrigued to see what what they've done to the engine. To uh, well, as long as it makes lots of lots of tire smoke, I think most people will be okay. Yeah, I think so. And he learns how to drift it as well. I think uh, it'll be good to watch. Yeah. So let's jump across to some local news now. We've got, um, first off, the probably amongst sort of the journalists uh, here, it's probably the biggest piece of news this week, and that was um, Nine, the owners of the Caravice brand, and of course Drive as well. They've um, announced that they're going to be retiring the Caravice brand and reintroducing the Drive uh, brand drive has been around for about 25 years and is one of those ones that I think for a younger audience might not be as familiar compared to car advice and um, obviously this decision has been met with a lot of interesting feedback and um, I think most people is going oh cool this is great this is a good set of opportunities for a lot of people um, to, to essentially retire um, what was one of the biggest modern journalist outlets you could say and um but yeah it's an interesting decision and um yeah i think yeah it's going to take a little while i think for a lot of people to to get used to yeah it was one of those things i said the writing was kind of on the wall when uh nine bought fairfax and and acquired drive everyone was always wondering which was going to be the which was going to be the winner with it was it going to be car advice or going to be drive in terms of the um the branding and everything like that so yeah look it's sad for um albors the creator of car advice um or co-creator actually wrote a piece during the week i haven't had a chance to read it but um he talked about what um, it means to him to see the brand that he created literally retired, and he's obviously moved on now to to, to car expert. But uh, yeah, it'll be. I'm intrigued. The one of the uh, head content people um, shared a story during the week saying they've got lots of cool things planned. So I'm intrigued to see what they do, and uh, we'll be watching to see what they've got planned for the brand because uh, the car advice kind of layout is a little bit sort of nicer and cleaner than drive. So hopefully they're going to combine the two together and maybe you know have the same sort of design as what they've had and then just change the branding so yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to watch i think so but to avoid confusion bringing two brands into one i think is probably a um probably a smarter move in in that re- in that respect so 
Absolutely. Well, it's uh, stay. Well, it's not really much to stay tuned on that one. It will happen eventually <laughs> for that. Uh, maybe just uh, time to update your bookmarks. Uh, you can always set dailyautofix.com to one of those. Uh, but let's move on. So the Eclipse Cross has been a popular little car for Mitsubishi in their SUV range. Obviously, the they've they've got quite a spread of SUVs now. We spoke about the Outlander. You've also got the ASX. Um, and a few other vehicles, but the Eclipse Cross has had an interesting update. So uh, one that I'm perhaps not totally in love with from the rear view that we're seeing, um, it, they've it all but eliminated the two tiered level uh, that's on the back of, um, on the current model. And the front looks a little bit like the Outlander concept images that came out about 2011 2012 to me it's it looks a lot like the concept vehicle obviously just in a smaller scale i'm not sure if that's just me or um, but anybody else has noticed that when you look at the photos and jump between but what will be interesting is so this is coming in just a what they're calling a an ice model they've actually clearly defined and separated the two now so the eclipse cross ice which obviously in terms uh stands for internal combustion engine and then also later on um so the ice models and and we do have one i do have one booked in and i haven't checked of whether this is sometimes manufacturers are a little bit slower to, to change and update things so i'm not sure if this will be an updated model hopefully it is um it makes sense that it is coming uh in a couple of weeks but who knows? Um, never really know with these things. It says that, you know, the global tyings, Japan starts pre-orders today and be available later in the year in North America, um, the ISO debut, debut in the first quarter of 2021. Yeah. But there was no mention of Australia. In- oh, there is. There is just a little line that was easy to miss. I missed it. So it is saying that we will get the ICE model in uh, in November. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that the model that we are booked in will be the new one. With um, the plug-in hybrid model, uh, coming available in 2021 and so for me this is the most interesting part is that plug-in hybrid model uh, it's great for that you know their technology to be coming down and they are saying that it is an updated sort of it is their latest generation of plug-in hybrid um, so yeah I think that's a it's a good step so they are using um, 1.5 litre Myvec direct injection turbocharged four cylinder um, and it's all aluminium lightweight so it's good for obviously fuel economy or sort of balancing power and economy um, there are eight sport eight speed sports mode um, in the transmission but it is still a CVT transmission so you will get a little bit of that that drone hopefully it yeah, is but with the eight speed it, I think it'll be interesting to see what it's like with the eight speed yeah, so fingers crossed on that part, um, but we'll we'll pay attention to that. But obviously, the CVT ultimately, at the end of the day, does help address the, um, you know, the the you know, it does help them achieve that goal of lower fuel consumption uh, that you just can't get as close with an auto or even a manual. But that so yeah so they do have um we don't have huge amounts of, of details in this it's basically what we do have but yeah so it seems that they'll be arriving in november and then the plug-in hybrid model will be coming a little bit later and as, as that info becomes available we'll um keep you up to date with pricing and more figures 
Yeah, I like the look of it though. I really like the front end of yeah. it. Very updated next gen Mitsubishi look with the front end, and I think it's kind of a little bit nicer rear end now. I think it's kind of. Uh, you used to be able to spot the difference between an Eclipse Cross and a. Um, ASX on the road. Now with this different design, they're going to be they kind of blend a little bit more, I yeah. think, in a certain degree. But yeah, I love the loving the lines and everything on it. Um, the interior looks like it's had a massive, um, you know, uh, change as well. It's a little bit cleaner and nicer. That that new screen setup and is really quite quite nice as well. So I'm intrigued. I think the the few these are generally a lot of these are runners rentals in rental fleets. So um, I'll be intrigued to see how they go. And I reckon the Fev will probably even end up in a, a rental fleet as well because I know that yeah. they have run the Outlander Fev. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing them on the road. It'll be very interesting to see if that's the one that you get when you've got the one booked in November. Yeah, well, I will be checking to- I will check tomorrow when I do switch over into the other Mitsubishi vehicles. So I'll, I'll have a better idea But because sometimes these things do slip between the, the cracks and um, it's always nice to see what the outgoing model has. Um, to compare, but yeah, fingers crossed it's the new one. Uh, okay, so Azuzu, the MUX Onyx Edition, Joel, uh, this seems like something that's right up your alley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this a- came through during the week. It's funny, it yeah. was actually um, it was on embargo, but it came through with an embargo time but it came through after the embargo time, mm. which I thought was really weird. So it's one the way first, to an embargo. first ever special edition MUX with an initial allocation limited to 420 units. So price from 56 grand. Um, so that, which is, you know, interesting uh, in terms of price connected with SatNav, DAB, Android Auto and Apple Car, wireless Apple CarPlay. Uh, available yeah, in only two colours: um, yeah. obsidian grey mica and silky white pearl. Um, so yeah, available to purchase now from your dealer. Um, so yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see um, how many people you know take up these. Um, and actually, you know, go for them in terms of um, it's obviously kind of be a, a run out model before the new one um, lobs, which we talked about previously. We've seen some design language on them. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see. It has been a popular car and it has sold, I think, reasonably well. There is a, a legion of fans of this of this model, um, which has been selling since two thousand and thirteen. So, um, you know, quite quite popular for for what it is. So, um, yeah. So it's, it's obviously got aesthetic uh, changes on it as well. Um, so yeah, it. Uh, I'll be interested to see. Have to see whether they've got one up there for you, Ash. Yeah, I will reach out. Yeah, because I haven't I haven't booked the new. Uh, Ute either, so I will have to jump in and, and book some time. I think in all of them <laughs> to to catch up on that one. Um, but yeah, but nothing, but not stopping on the special editions. Volkswagen of all brands have also jumped onto the special edition, but this time they've worked with Walkinshaw. To, to, yeah, so they've created the W580. They're available to order from December first, with market introduction is a. Q1 2021. Um, so, yeah, so enhanced suspension tune, uh, some different styling, and twin side pipe exhaust, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but there's a whole heap of specs. So, it's got a 200 kilowatt, 580 uh, newton meter um, diesel engine with an eight speed auto. 
so basically they haven't touched that but they've done a whole heap of other tuning around and so yeah it's uh <laughs> they're talking about the, the w580 is designed to maximize the potency of that ute um and they've referred it back to the apprentice tune world time attack that blazed uh, mount panorama in two minutes 57 seconds so yeah i think um it's an it's an interesting thing they've they've listed out a couple of the specific um, bits and pieces so the key features obviously the tuned suspension they've got uh, 20 by 9 inch clay nail wheels which are wrapped with Pirelli Scorpion tyres 275 50R20 tyres so they're kind of big tyres for, for for that modelled sports bars painted the body colour um, obviously you've got the, your decals because there's no point um, buying one of these and not having people know what it is uh you got wheel arch extensions that that twin uh tune twin exhaust system which we talked about walk and short design grill buys on headlights um your plaque with your build number on the inside and um your led fog lamps and uh what is interesting so yeah they're expecting deliveries to start from april 21 and um the first 30 customers who complete a pre-order online and then proceed to purchase will receive an all expenses paid money can't buy exclusive walking short experience which includes all flights transfers meals and accommodation to attend a walk 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 and shore factory tour with walk and shore andretti united track day um so yeah that's that's pretty cool as well and um i think a lot of these brands are learning that um you need to put a, a carrot on the end of a stick to to drive these products we saw this with the gr yaris um with obviously a sizable discount this time you know 30 30 customers will receive quite an extensive um uh perk for for jumping in early as well but i haven't seen any pricing information no, pricing will be released closer to um the on the on sale date okay. uh, of the first of december they're saying that um uh what did i read that yeah pricing and detailed vehicle specs uh we available at the time of on sale of the first of december so i tweeted a cool the cool video that they put together um during the week so go check out my twitter at joel strict photo have a look at the cool video that 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 they um released which shows it in action on track um it's pretty cool i think it'll be great to see you know the ute the amarok has been popular with tradies and i think this would be a cool thing to rock up to the job site on uh with something like this and um, Absolutely. There was a lot of talk during the week from a few other people I know saying, what are they going to do next? Are Walkinshaw now going down the VW route? Are we going to see something VW in supercars? This was the other interesting comment that was made during uh, the week. I see. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. I think that they were talking to a couple other brands. But the fact that Walkinshaw are now involved with multiple brands away from GM, obviously they do the stuff with Ram and they're doing some stuff with VW. Um, this is cool. You know, this is great to see that that people are doing these, you know, they were doing the Sport Cat. Well, that's now finished. So they needed something to, to, to put their creativity behind. And this is an awesome idea. So hats off to Volkswagen Australia for getting involved with Walkinshaw um, to create this partnership. This is really, really cool um 
and you know Volkswagen commercial vehicles have obviously got the got the idea that this was going to work and and they decided to go down this route so um yeah i'm excited to to see these hopefully they might uh they might even create a, a press vehicle at some stage and we might be able to get our hands on one if they uh if they do do a um a, one of those and yeah that'd be cool to, to check it out and, and see what it's like we'll so. see if we can twist some arms yeah <laughs> and uh see if we can get our hands on one okay all right next next bit of news uh this this one I don't know. I thought we already pretty much knew a lot more about it, but um, but there was a mystery GIRS running around the Nurburgring, as reported by, or sort of shared on Facebook by Evo, uh, Evo Magazine. But um, but for what I can tell, I don't know if anybody else missed the detail that was in the um, in in the press release for the GR Yaris, but Toyota already have come out and said that they are going to be releasing a further special edition Rally E model later next year uh, that's separate to the GR Yaris, and this one will be available in limited numbers. Now, from what I can tell, styling-wise, not much has terribly changed. There's not a lot of camo running on this one. Uh, There are some more aggressive front uh, spoiler scoops, um, probably similar to the Mercedes-Benz A45 uh, AMG uh, particularly at the first generation, quite aggressive on the front. Uh, that look like they've been loaded up with air sensors. Obviously, on the rear tire as well, there's a, there's an airflow meter on there and across the back as well to, to measure the aerodynamics on a real-world situation. And, um, yeah, so I probably wouldn't say this one is so much more of a mystery, more of just uh, Toyota testing that more aggressive model out on the track. And um, there's not too much uh, video. I haven't explicitly gone out searching for it, but there was one video. And, um, yeah, there's a little bit of... Um, little bit of tuning on that understeer i think from from what i can tell uh on there but i i think this looks great this is so exciting to see toyota um sort of doubling down not just on a GRS, but also doing a special edition on it and um yeah certainly no doubt that this will be uh, a quick seller as well based on you know the regular model selling a thousand units in about a week yeah, it should be uh, it should be interesting to watch and see what ends up happening. So um, I know that my friends that have got them on order are excited. One even got his uh, build details this week. So um, yeah, it's getting closer for this for this thing to be hitting here. And then yeah, obviously you know could it be that they're testing parts to I put into the GR product catalog? Um, you know, for them to be able to people to be able to buy after they bought their car and be able to add parts and stuff like that. So um, that could be what they are maybe testing. That's right. Well, it'd be clever. It's a one way to supply, you know, keep that revenue coming in as well. Exactly. Uh, okay, back down to earth a little bit um, is the the new 2021 i30 hatchback. Excuse me, from Hyundai. And uh, this one is probably more in line with what we've seen with the i30N uh, update that's coming with uh, some revised styling. Uh, they're now adding a lot more smart, what what Hyundai called the Smart Sense Safety. So it's in uh, standard across the entire line, and um, yeah, it brings as as they say, yeah, the active and elite hatch in line with that new i30 sedan that you might have started to see floating around. Obviously, there's an N line variant 
as well that sort of fits in between with 150 kilowatt turbo and um yeah so the the i30 hatchback is on sale now uh starting at a list price so not driveaway pricing so just factor that in from 23420 now from from here it's from the photos that we're seeing it's not a it's not a drastic update but i think it's a nice sort of minor life cycle update and um yeah just uh keeps keeps the i30 uh moving forwards in terms of features and looks don't you think yeah, it is, and particularly, you know, with the N-Line and the N-Line Premium as well, um, you know, it makes for for interesting um, comparisons. The photos that they've released in the, the press kit are really nice in that red. That, that really yeah. does stand out with those silver wheels, and I think they're a different, they're a newer wheel, I think, as well. Um, that looks like quite, a, quite a nice design. So, yeah, I'm um, very intrigued to try this new... Um, DCT option when it uh, when it comes out, um, and that must be a variant from the N view, yeah, for sure. You'd think so. They'd be running the same the same sort of thing. So, um, yeah. Now that they've, I drove an SR a while back and really liked that and thought that was quite cool. But yeah. um, I'm intrigued to, and it's part of you know. Hopefully, once we reopen, I can start getting in and driving a couple of these updated Hyundai's because it's been a while since I've driven one, and particularly just even these. Um, you know, obviously not an N, but even an N line or. Um, the N-Line Premium or even, you know, the Active and the Elite, just to see what they're like through the range, you know. Yeah. Everyone talks about i30N um, and it, it's always interesting to see what they're like um in the, you know, the model that's down, there. not everyone wants to buy the top of the top of the line. Oh, and sometimes people just want something that's a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't, like, and, and that's why I enjoyed even something like the entry-level base model Toyota Corolla uh, sedan, the Ascent Sport. It was just so comfortable. It it didn't have super hard suspension. It had comfortable cloth seats. You, you, sometimes you just have to appreciate cloth seats um, when it comes to that. And yeah, sometimes it is just nice going back to basics. And with this, like the you know, like with the end, you do get the updated uh, safety features. So you do have wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, seven-inch color LCD. So that's nice and updated. Um, slightly, uh, yeah, new feature alloy wheels. You get now collision avoidance assist, driver attention warning, lane keeping assist, and lane following assist. And that's all standard now. Um, as well as other hatch grades also have the blind spot collision warning, rear traffic cross, uh, and smart cruise control. So, yeah, I think... Um, I'm intrigued to try the smart cruise and also the lane keeping and lane following assist setup as well. I'm always interested by those and how they work. Yeah. Um, they're always slightly different between car brands. Yeah. There was something I was reading the other day. Someone was reviewing um, something and they felt that it was too violent, that it would kind of really reef the, yeah. the steering wheel out of your hand when it was trying to follow the lines. Um, a couple of cars I've had haven't really struck me as being that way, so I'm always intrigued to to try that. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the screen increases between, you know, the eight inches obviously sort of fairly standard with a lot of stuff now and the active and the inline, but yeah. the elite and the inline premium obviously have the 10 inch. So intrigued to see what that's like, you know, living with it day to day. Um 
and stuff like that. And of course, you know, the beauty with um, Hyundai is they tune all their chassis for local roads, which exactly. is always exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, they've done it for years, and um, it's always interesting to see what what they're like to to drive. So um, the the seven speed DCT is only available in the one point six. Um, you can get the six speed auto or six speed manual in the in the GDI. Um, but you can only get the seven speed in the TGDI, um, which is only available in the inline and the inline premium. Yeah. So yeah, I've been intrigued to try the different mm. levels there, particularly probably, you know, comparing the six speed auto in say the maybe the active and then comparing the seven speed DCT and something like the inline. Exactly. And it is worth noting, so there is a manual still available, but that is only in the um, oh, sorry, the, the six-speed in the GDR is only available in the base model i30. Um, and, and if you want to go back into a manual for any of the other models, you do have to go to the N-Line or the N-Line Premium. So the Active and the Elite are automatic only. So that's the six-speed. And um, it's it's nice to see that the only option that's available is the metallic paint. So it's still, you know, it's 495 which is kind of standard. Uh, but... Yeah, that is the only option you have in the list um, in terms of features. And um, yeah, so the pricing is twenty three four twenty dollars uh, list price for the entry-level i30 six-speed manual. Uh, it is roughly about a $2,000 premium to go from the manual to the automatic, and that's the same for the N-Line models as well. Uh, so you've got twenty three four twenty dollars for the for the i30 six-speed manual, twenty six nine twenty and thirty twenty twenty dollars for the automatic active and elite. And then in the N-Line, and N-Line Premium, you've got the 29420 and 34220 for the manuals and then add $2,000 onto that for your DCT. So it's, it's a lot of car for under 40000 um, even right at the top of the, um, the, the performance range. And then even the Elite, uh, where you get pretty much all of the options uh, that we were talking about in terms of the safety, the entertainment, or all that kind of thing, is just thirty, you know, just a hair over thirty thousand dollars before you add on your your on roads. But in terms of just a list price, even you know that is that's pretty competitive because the thing is you can't forget compare that, and yes, it's not a hybrid, but compare that to the GR Yaris. Had it that it's it's a big car, just as many features. Um, just uh, perhaps for the same, you know, similar money, you're just offsetting, well, how much fuel economy do you want? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's the, the, the interesting, the other thing I know is that the only um, option is metallic paint. Yeah. <laughs> so you just buy the car for, for the spec that you want and then just add, you know, um, metallic as your thing. So it just makes it so much easier when it comes to, compared to buying a luxury car and we've got, well, do we want the driver assistance package? Do we want the performance pack? Do we want the thing? It's like, well, no, just... But in terms of retail as well, like if you're going to turn around and sell this in three, five, sort of seven years, it's easier to sell the car. If you're wanting to buy, you know, if this is going to buy a used car or sell this as, you know, a first car for someone that's buying it down the track, you know that if you're going to buy either petrol or diesel, you know, auto or manual, the specs are easy. You don't know whether stuff's been added or not and whatever else. And the safety stuff is true. Is you know you just have to, you just know okay I want this safety spec I then I buy this model and stuff like that so it's just it's just simple yeah. but like you said Ash lots of, lots of, a lot of car for for the money as well okay let's jump across to the Navara so some spy shots have leaked out we're looking at the practical motoring article and um, yeah the the leak 
spy shots that have come out um, are showing a Nissan Navara that looks very much like the 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 Titan, which is the big pickup that's in America. And um, being a fan of a big American truck, I'm loving the new update uh, that that. I assume we'll probably be seeing relatively shortly, given that these look like production models, um, where this one is, I think it's in the Middle East. Uh, so yeah, we must be very, very close now to having an updated uh, Navara coming down down under. Yeah, they're saying that this is probably the um, uh, the Middle East or the US version, uh, but they're saying that the designs, like we've seen in a couple other brands, that stuff will actually start to merge together. Yeah. Um, and that for the MY21 facelift, which is effectively running into almost from sort of now forward, um, that they could similar and flow into it similar designs. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what it is. It does look like it's a sort of a, a taller, um, straighter front end and a little bit yes. taller in height yeah. uh, in, that, in that sense. But, yeah, I'm intrigued to see. I mean, the Navara, look, you know, the Navara has been a, a been a good car here. The, the current gen is nice. It's obviously spurned off to to create the Warrior and uh, and and, you know, it's an interesting thing to see. So, you know, what happens to the to the next gen warrior? Do we get to see this one as as the sort of version two for the next model? Yeah. Um, which will be pretty cool. Um, if that is the it is the case. But yeah, um if this is the way that they're heading, great, let's bring it on. Absolutely. And uh yeah, do it sooner rather than later, let hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh Shannon's auctioning a unique speed comparison, uh McLaughlin Mustang. So this one, um pretty cool paint job, but do you know the story behind this one, Joel? Yeah, it was originally one of the original press cars. I'm pretty sure from reading the the stuff during the week when this release came out that um, this was originally one of the first. Um, it was a company car from Ford, which means I think it was probably one of the ones that was used in this gen when they did the press release there because I recognised the wheels and the paint job. Um, and then they painted the wheels, put the um, artwork on it for it to run at last year's Superloop Adelaide 500 where it was used in the speed comparison. So Scotty McLaughlin drove this, um, Marcus Ambrose drove an NASCAR and Dick Johnson drove the effectively the first um, Mustang supercar that they built and they ran a which was the, the car that they built to do all the launch and everything when they were saying mm-hmm. that Mustang was coming to supercars. And um, yeah, this car has been effectively donated to Camp quality um and will be auctioned by shannon's uh as an on an online auction which is actually live now um and yeah it'll be auctioned off for charity with all the proceeds going to camp quality which is uh which is really really good to see it's had a few changes um it's got a half roll cage in it uh racing harness rear seat's been taken out it's got ARP front and rear wheel hubs with uh, extended nuts on it, fire extinguisher and factory spoiler. Um, it's also had a slight tune from the guys at um, Herod um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, yeah, it's only done about 12,000 Ks. So, um, yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see what it sells for. Uh, their yeah, estimate is 42,000, 26 oh, 42. so far. Okay. 
Wow. Um, they're saying between 55 and 75,000, and it finishes on the 7th uh, at about, uh, oh, sorry, on the 28th at about 7 o'clock. But with any like this, if there's a bid in the last minute, it will extend for another couple of minutes. So it'll be interesting to watch right through till possibly even, you know, late on the on the 28th of what it goes for. But, yeah, this would be a nice piece of history to own, having been, you know, driven by the now um, – 2020 and three-time uh, Supercars champion. Yeah, and it, obviously it's it's been well looked after <laughs> during that time. So, yeah, it'd be a great one to be added to a collection. But, okay, so we're going to, because we've had so much news, we're just going to run through um, a quick fire of some of these pieces of news that we've had. So first up, um, Mercedes are adding more EQ-specific agents. So think of it as like showrooms or places to, to go check out some of the new EQ models that Mercedes are launching um, throughout Australia. So... Um, we talked about last week they're expanding the EQ range so S class A class and everything in between so this is going to be the place for it and um, yeah free charge fox fast charging for current EQC owners so that's a great thing to to yeah, great thing to expand and just offer us a few more um, charging options for for them and the charged Fox network is brilliant. Like it's yep. really, really quite good. And uh, they've expanded the number of EQ agents from fifteen uh, to twenty. We twenty four now, so that's quite good across the country. So yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to watch as this brand grows for Mercedes. Absolutely. Well, next up um, on our quick fire, we've got the we've, we've spoken about it in the past, but the the Mercedes AMG GT black series will be arriving in australia only 28 will be arriving and uh basically all of them have been already allocated to future owners um so this is a sixth model to grace the most performance based um or focused branch of the amg family and um yeah so it's 537 kilowatts 800 newton meters of power 0103.2 seconds and 200 kilometers an hour in just nine um obviously a lot of things have been borrowed from the gt3 race car and um pricing it's not a cheap car that's certainly expensive the amg gt black series is priced at seven hundred ninety six thousand nine hundred dollars and that's just the list price that is not drive away um and obviously those people who have an allocation will be able to do their individual specs so i'm sure that won't be the final price for a lot of people doing these specs but um, I'm loving that orange. Yeah, it's a different color. Absolutely. So next up, the Maserati MC20, which we spoke about. Um, due to COVID, it was basically here in Sydney and then straight off to Japan the next day. So unfortunately, we didn't get a chance just because of... Um... No, so it only dropped into Sydney, did one event, and then flew out again. So it's, um, yeah, not even uh, not even as much, I don't know, Rolls-Royce did a better job, I thought. Um, they were hoping to bring it to Melbourne, but obviously with COVID, it didn't allow it, unfortunately. So yeah. shame it wasn't maybe a month later and it could have come down here. But it looks stunning in this yellow colour. Yes. Um, it's a good thing. But it's been so, 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 so popular. Already all of next year's allocations is already mm. sold. Yep. And the pricing, I think, is about right. So it's 438000 That's the recommended retail price. It doesn't knock too hard on the doors of um, a lot of the other supercars. I think it's quite modestly priced. Obviously, it doesn't have... Um 
to like you know and this is where performance figures of supercars kind of get a little bit out of whack because this is a 470 kilowatt 730 meter lightweight v6 um but it does zero to 102.9 seconds so think about that we just talked about the black series and that was zero to 100 in 3.2 seconds for about eight hundred thousand dollars but we're now talking about a two seat exotic Maserati that is $438,000 and doing it faster in 2.9 seconds. So this is kind of a weird thing that we are in supercar world in terms of stats. All the stats don't really tell the entire story. Um, There's also an MC20 coming in the future with an electric... Um, powertrain and um, but no more details of that at the moment so but we've already spoken about most of the details last time um, but like we said yeah uh, 470 kilowatts 730 newton meters top speed of 325 kilometers and if you want one next year good luck they're already sold out <laughs> so yeah that's uh it's exciting yeah i can't wait to see him here no, so we had a bit of a pause in Audi's relentless um, updating of models, but they're back again this week. So the first ever Audi RS Q8 arrives in Australia. So it's 441 kilowatts, 800 newton meters of um, torque out of a four-liter twin-turbo V8 engine. Um, loving the the Hulk green. Uh, it's not really the color, but I'm calling it Hulk green. Um, and this is probably the first time where the Q8 actually looks quite good um, from from my perspective anyway. Uh, performance numbers. So like I said, 441 kilowatts of power, 800 newton meters of torque. And that torque ranges between 2,200 uh, RPM and 4,500 RPM. And uh, your sprint time, 0 to 100, is 3.8 seconds into 200 kilometers at 13.7 uh, before you you stop dead in your tracks with your top speed being limited to 250 kilometers per hour um but yes yeah, so obviously expect a lot of um a lot of performance great note out of the the back of the rs and um yeah they don't mention pricing uh where is it do they say pricing uh two hundred eight thousand five hundred dollars there you go so that's the sure, comment before it's a lot of money for the car yeah uh it's pretty impressive so yeah it'd be interesting to see i think we'll start seeing a few of these on the road soon uh yeah. it's pretty exciting to still to more see. expensive than a grand cherokee track hawk though <laughs> it is <laughs> but um you know there's just something about these these Audi models so that's right okay so the next one back onto the Ford Mustang um, bandwagon so the Mac 1 is a special edition uh, that's l- just limited to 700 vehicles. Um, we'll be joining the Ford Mustang lineup in 2021 for the first ever factory built right hand drive program and um, yeah so Rick Kelly um is the official ambassador for for this particular vehicle. I think it looks amazing. And um, yeah, this sort of ties into Chuck Yeager's historic flight in the Bell X-1, which is the first, you know, where he became the first pilot to break the sound barrier, um, which they call obviously Mach 1, different levels of, you know, times, multiples of the speed of sound and um, became the inspiration for the upgraded Mustang model in 1969 through to 1974. So this is a nice... um, sort of callback to to that and obviously it's great to now be seeing more of these officially coming out to to australia we have usually missed out on these specific types of special editions so it's great to have um to start be seeing these down 
under. We didn't no. think we'd get this after the bullet came and whatever else, uh, yeah. and it was success here. We didn't think the Mark One would make it here. So the Mark One is a tradition that is that's carried on from previous Gen Mark Ones in the Mustang from the the late the late sixties. Um, and when they re-released it, you know, everyone was sort of hoping that it would come here. And yeah, it will be, yeah. but it'll be limited to seven hundred again, uh, like the bullet was. So this is uh, this is exciting for Mustang fans, and I'm pretty sure that um, the as soon as this was announced, that the uh, the phones on most of the Ford dealers around the country was was running hot because to own one of these is uh, you know this was uh, Ford's effectively track vehicle that they used from from the, from '69, and it's carried on. So um, this will be very interesting to watch, and be interesting to see what um, what Ford get Rick to do with it and stuff like that. So it could be very very interesting to watch but yeah on sale pricing to come soon um and on sale next year that's right all right so next up uh the final bit of uh quick news is the lexus is sports sedan has been updated and revealed and um so starting from 61,500, it's uh, available for pre-order now, uh, but models will arrive in oh, on November 6th. And um, yeah, so it starts with $1,000 of the outgoing model. So I think that's nice that we haven't seen a drastic uh, price increase. And um, for Lexus, they're bringing in a number of firsts, so um, for, you know, for things to be standard all grades. So that's uh, intersection turning assist, emergency steering assist, automatic collision notification, SOS call, and stolen vehicle tracking. So that's great to have across all of um, all of their models, as well as standard across for the first time on IS models, uh, 18-inch alloy wheels, which are up from the 17-inch wheels, obviously. Another welcome addition is the electric park brake. Um, getting rid of that old uh, foot-operated <laughs> brake. It's a great um, thing to see them doing that. Yeah. Uh, so you have also 10.3-inch touch display with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, pre-collision system uh, featuring daytime and nighttime pedestrian detection, plus cyclist detection. So that's pretty cool. And that that's for the daytime. All, sp- all speed active cruise control, lane tracing assist, road sign assist, blind spot monitor, parking support brake, and rear cross traffic alert um, and brake. So that's great. Obviously, a few other things which you would expect in a car like this. Um, of course, the ISF Sport will also be available in three IS powertrains. Um, or sorry, the IF Sport model uh, will also be available across the three IS um, powertrains. And um, so, yeah, so that'll be great. And there will be a hybrid model as well. Um, but yeah, so that's that's great. Um, so pricing from 61500 all the way up to 78100 for the range topping IS350F Sport with the enhancement pack. Um, but there we go. So I'm, I'm talking to, to the guys at Lexus, so hopefully we'll be able to arrange one of those to, to have a look at when they become available. Okay, so, and um, to update on our ANCAP, uh, this week we had the Jeep Gladiator join the uh, the ranks of the latest um, safety tests. And um, this one was uh, an interesting one. It, so it tested three out of five stars and um, it suffered a lot of the same... Um, downfalls that the Jeep Wrangler simply because of the similarities between the Wrangler and the the Jeep Gladiator are very very similar 
um, bar the tray hanging off the back. Um, they've used those that safety rating test as the basis of the Gladiator, as well as some other information that is supplied um, from the manufacturer to to help show basically how that can be applied for that. Um, this is something which um, a lot of uh, has mixed reactions obviously five out of five stars is the the benchmark is basically what is expected these days um and particularly when um i think a lot of people will forgive when um cars sort of fail on outward looking safety features if that makes sense so looking at you know the the road user protection and those sorts of things people would prefer to go well prefer to overlook that if it's protecting them first and foremost um but there's a few key areas where the 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 wrangler anyway which applies to the gladiator where it let down so the dual frontal and combination side airbags um a standard head protecting side airbags are not offered for reseating positions autonomous emergency braking and a blind spot monitor are standard um but lane keep assist and emergency lane keeping systems are not available so there's a few things there obviously for the head protection with the way that the wrangler and the gladiator built where it features a roll cage and a removable roof um that introduces certain levels of limitations in be able to address those and i think um and i haven't spoken to anybody that owns either of these vehicles but from people that i know overseas who do own these um that type of safety is not really at the forefront of their mind because they want a vehicle where they can remove um, the roof like that or take off the doors. I know people live in the States where they just rip all the doors off and and that's how they want to drive the vehicle in. They are taking it off-road and where those sorts of things maybe aren't totally uh, relevant. But again, it is just something to be aware of. This is what ANCAP is meant to, to bring to light. Um, so you're not just jumping in a 2020 vehicle thinking that it should be um, perfectly safe. Obviously, with different types of vehicles, you know, these things um, these things are different. And um, certainly, I'd expect that lane keep assist and emergency lane keeping, those sorts of things that's, that could be integrated, we'll probably see um, integrated down the track. And I think that would be nice to have. Um, but in terms of those other couple of bits and pieces, I'm yeah, I'm not sure where they go to address those uh, for a vehicle that's sort of designed with this particular type of lifestyle built in mind. Yeah, it's interesting that just the areas that it's been let down in and that, um, yeah, that it kind of does hurt it. But for a lot of people that are buying these cars, they're buying it for a reason. So yeah. you know, like, and, the, and the, like the Mustang is exactly the same. Yeah. It scored a three, three-star cap, And still, you know, you're facing a waiting times of about 12 months still for a car. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just... Um, Again, it's it's great consumer advice, but you know, uh, this is why we have a free market as well because people, you know, should be allowed to to make that choice or not. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. Um, did you have a look at bring a trailer this week? I did. did what what'd you find? Uh, what so a couple of honourable mentions this week? Um, I did find one of these last week, so I'm glad that I found another one. But which is yeah. rare to find them. <laughs> but um, 91 Ferrari Testarossa was my nice. honourable mention. So it was a Testarossa as opposed to a 5.1 
2TR, which is generally the other thing that you find, but this is yeah. an early 90s. So this is my dream car, this thing with the red exterior, the original wheels, brown interior. Um, it's done 18,000 miles. Um, it's 60,000 at the moment. It's got four days left. So I'm intrigued to see what this ends up going for. Uh, my other honourable mention was a 95 Toyota Land Cruiser two-door, an mm-hmm. FZJ73, um, 16 and a half grand with four days to go. Um, it's done 200,000 Ks. <laughs> Interesting that it's, that it's shown. So it's obviously yeah. got the, uh, the kilometre as opposed to the miles, which is about 128,000 miles. It's a left-hand drive. Um, it came from Colombia, uh, imported the US from Colombia by a selling dealer in July 2020. Um, really, really stunning-looking thing. Um, looks fantastic. And then my other honourable mention was an 89 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Wagoneers have been all the talk of late with the uh, recent concept. This thing's nice. It's got the lovely wood trim on the outside. Um, it's got uh, 113,000 miles um, on the clock. Um, it's got uh, a rebuilt 360 CI V8, five and a half grand and six days left. So I'm intrigued to see what uh, this goes for in the, in the end. But my pick this week, and I think I kind of picked it last week, but we didn't get to it. And it might have been one that, um, yeah, I think it is because it ends in two days, is a 4,000 um, kilometer, just two, uh, 2,500 miles. Um, 1989 Lamborghini LM002. Oh, cool. Nice you do car. not, you do not get to see these very often come up for sale. It's in Seattle and Washington, which is kind of a weird place to. Uh, to find something like that. I would have thought that there'd be more like, you know, downtown LA or somewhere like that, that you would find something like this. But yeah, it's in black with a a cream interior. Um, Super tidy. Yeah, with the actually looks like it's more white. Um, Left-hand drive. Um, It runs the V12 from the Countach. Um, It says an oil change was performed in 2019. Um, It's got all the original books and everything in it. Um, Carfax shows only one service history, um, no accidents or damage. Um, and yeah, it's uh, looking like it's in pretty good neck, but um, yeah, it's uh, a pretty impressive looking thing on the video listing. There's actually a, a cold start of it as well, mm. um, which is pretty cool. It sounds like when it starts, a typical V12 turnover, the slow wine, yeah. Uh, but then it kicks off and, um, yeah, it's pretty brilliant and, and how good it sounds. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty cool um, thing to, to see. What did you find, Ash? Uh, so my pick is um, maybe not as unique but certainly special. Actually, it is a little bit unique uh, but not as valuable. Let's just say that. Um, so the current bid is at $10,000. It's got six days to go, and it's a 2007 BMW M5. So it's the V10 uh, F1-derived engine, and but this one is a six-speed manual. Um, so the manual is famously and still pretty much in the M5s is only offered in the United States. Make of that what you will. It's kind of weird. Um but yes, yeah, it's got aftermarket exhaust. Uh, it's got sunroof. It's got all the nice comfort features uh, that you want. But yeah, I just think it's uh, one of these things, particularly in Australia, that that S eighty five. You know, is such an amazing uh, engine. Horrible to look after. Hence the hence sort of the price even at a, at the moment. 
Um, but it is just one of those unique vehicles being in a manual uh, that, yeah, it would be would be nice to have for a little while, little while anyway before the uh, maintenance bill far exceeded the purchase price. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But no, it's a wonderful engine. It's just it's just the last of the um, totally insane vehicles, I think that we um, that we've, we've seen out of BMW. I know that there's been a number of crazy performance models, but um, that particular era, uh, E46, E60 um, for across the 3 Series and 5 Series for the M vehicles was just a, a crazy time, wonderful time. And um, yeah, that would be my pick. Yeah, nice choice. But let's, uh, yeah, let's dive Yeah, it's a nice into... colour combo, that yeah, thing. Yeah, it works well. Mm. Okay, so let's dive into some international news. Uh, First one, interestingly, uh, Sebastian Vettel buys a stake in Aston Martin. Joining uh, Toto Wolff, who's taken a personal stake, as well as uh, Mercedes-Benz, who owns 5% of the brand as part of a deal to supply engines, transmissions, and electrical componentry uh, through to Aston Martin. And um, yeah, this is obviously, it's it's part of a big deal um, that Sebastian Vettel has a personal investment just into that into that brand but obviously with him moving to 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 what will be the rebranding Nothing like taking a share in your, in your new workplace exactly um so i think that shows a little bit of confidence as well as um probably part of seb vettel's um exit strategy when it comes to retirement he wants to have some sort of investment and perhaps um you know, in the future, we might even see him in a technical role, um, part of a Formula One team. Uh, once he decides to to hang up the boots. Yeah, exactly. Who you know? Who's, who knows what? You know, could he be a, a future advisor, test driver? You know, exactly. <laughs> who knows? It could be very interesting. But yeah, interesting step for him to take a take a share in his new workplace. But shows the confidence that he'll probably be might be there for a while. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a bit of an awkward conversation. Uh, Sebastian, uh, we we don't want you to drive anymore, but... Um, you yeah, know, but he could, uh, talk, it could become a talent scout or he could be a right. yeah. motorsport advisor and... That's right, uh, but it's you know it's all part of that next uh, next step for for Sebastian Vettel. But as you as you mentioned earlier, Joel um, Goodwood Speed Week is on, and um, it's usually the time where we see a lot of very exciting models uh, be- come out and um, make their debuts. And this week is obviously no exception, with Lotus debuting the 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 Avija. Um, their fully electric supercar, hypercar. Not sure what sort of level you'd put that on, but um, but yeah, it's making its debut with a couple of models. Looks like a prototype and a show car. Yeah, um, it was a bit of a surprise. I think a lot of people weren't expecting Lotus to unveil um, it at this event. They knew that it was obviously people had been worked on, but yeah, some stuff that I read during the week that said people weren't um, expected to see it to make for it to make its public debut. Debut, yeah. and not only that, Lotus released it with the stunning JPS, you know, John Player special uh, livery on it as well, which looks you know magnificent with the black with the the gold trim. So um, yeah, it's a good looking thing. Having only seen some other images of it, I really like it in this look with the the black and the gold and and. And, you know the gold front splitter and stuff like that so yeah it's um very very interesting to see um and to see it having it you know dynamic to view not just being on display but actually having a run uh yeah. is is pretty cool so um yeah very very interesting to see and uh they're saying um 
I don't think there was any further update on when it was going to hit um, showrooms and stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah, nice to it's, see it's it coming. Having, <laughs> nice to see it having a run. Yeah. All right. So next up, a little bit of a tease by Ford. I'm not sure how much they're trying to hide their um, Bronco Raptor from prying eyes, um, but it seems like a bit of the um, the tease on the covers is that they're calling it the the warthog um yeah. so this, do you think this is just a work name or i think it might think be a code be, name yeah you know i think cool name anyway. get, i mean the raptor branding for them has been quite strong um and they've always sort of run under that um branding um you know for um that hotter version of their off-road vehicles. So my guess is that Warthog is probably just a a code name uh, for it. Look, if they do call it that, it'll be something a little bit different. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, it was something that appeared during the week. Someone got a spy photo of inside the um, wheel wells and they had Warthog ridden on it. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but you know, there's lots of teasing and talking over it, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what actually happens of it. But, yeah, it's going to be a cool-looking thing. But, again, sadly, I don't think it'll make it down under. Uh, well, uh, maybe an importer will do it. We uh, we do know that some, some people are doing it, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get it at some point just as a just an importer. But, yeah, uh, don't expect the prices to be too too friendly. Uh, but okay, so the Volkswagen have introduced the Taos or Taos, Taos, I think it is. Um, yeah, it's a, but it is an American uh, model. We probably won't see it down under uh, for a little while. They, um, we just have had the the T Rock arrive at, down here, but the Taos is the uh, the smallest, most affordable SUV to enter their their ranks. In the US, so it rivals, rivals the, the Tucson, the Subaru Crosstrek, uh, but adds a few uh, premium features along the way. It's a nice looking um, design. I actually like the, the design. Yeah. It sits below the Tiguan, so I'm intrigued to see where it would sit. I tried to do some research during the week, but I couldn't actively see where it would sit compared to T-Rock and T-Cross. So I'm thinking yeah. it's kind of maybe around close to one of those, but then bigger than the other one so um yeah. interesting we'll see what it'll do in the u.s market yeah absolutely and i think um you know they're seeing over there as well the smaller little compact cars are not um the key focus anymore and um obviously with the the california uh emissions regulations and obviously the european regulations putting different types of um, pressures on there for them um uh, but we'll we'll keep Closer attention just to see how that how that's tracking and uh, if there's any rumours that it might find its space in their already pretty crowded uh, lineup here in Australia. But next up is uh, we mentioned the Jimny uh, where they, um, you know, we still have extremely long wait times. Uh, we do have from the factory it is a three door model, um, but the producer for the Indian uh, variant of the Jimny is looking to be um, building a five-door body, uh, making the first long wheelbase version of the popular 4x4. Um, But they are saying that 
we we probably won't see it here um, as doubts over a right-hand drive versions are pretty high. Um, but yeah, so they... I don't know. It, it could be an interesting thing. There is discussion. So the Practical Motoring uh, article they're talking about is saying that uh, Suzuki might be moving most, if not all the global Jimny production to India with a three-door also being built in the subcontinent and shipped around the world. So it, we could potentially see a right-hand drive model yeah. eventually. If they're the going to make ours, ours over there in you know, right-hand drive and they're going to make the five, then it'd be logical sense to be able to do that as if they're already set up to do it for, for our three-door. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see well yeah. one to see some more pictures of it to actually see how much more space it has inside because yeah. i don't think i've seen any proper photos of it yet i've seen a lot of renders uh not a lot of hard information on that though so it's um but i, I just wonder like I'm, I'm trying to picture because all of the the renders i've seen just just look a little bit off proportionately just um but yeah we'll keep an eye on that one and, and see where it sits because you know, the three door was already at about thirty thousand dollars for the top model. So the question is, you know, how much more are willing are people going to be willing to pay for a five door model? Um, on top of that, you know, and how much is a, you know, it being an off road model uh, versus a, you know, quite a lot of SUVs that sort of fit that thirty to forty thousand dollar mark? Will people want? So we'll keep an eye on that and see if uh, we'll keep you up to date if anything changes on that. But Mercedes are going uh i'm not sure what happened with my my article right here it seems like some of the things are a bit cut off but uh the thing that i do know is that electric mobility develops a thirst for adventure as mercedes call it with their eqc 4x4 squared um basically it's an extreme electric car that takes their eqc to the nth degree and um making it a pretty handy off-roader so they've um raised it up given it beefy tires pumped out the guards i think you know the eqc looks a bit pedestrian and um i think these modifications are exactly what the eqc needs to look like it looks looks pretty cool it's awesome it looks great with the with the flared wheel arches and the bigger stance on it um yeah it's the kind of cool thing you know it's kind of funny we look at this on the rebel rally yeah maybe if they were uh, you know allowed them to bring it out but you know it's a bit like a that new jeep you know the 4xe that they're they're doing um you know it's one of those it's cool things to to see but yeah it looks awesome um it's a great concept and uh yeah very very uh impressive setup so you know increases the they're calling it a study <laughs> so you know nothing like a concept uh actually, actually like calling us quite a, a few of them as well in that uh, in uh, i think they might just be a photoshop shot by the looks oh, of it so thank you. Don't like um but it's <laughs> 20 centimeters higher than the standard version the wheel, wheel arch measure about 10 centimeters um the turning circle is small thanks to modern um kinematic uh axle and four link uh, front axle, uh, ground clearance and folding defo increased by 15 centimetres compared to the standard EQC. So, um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool little idea. Um, nice work, Mercedes. Yeah, it's... Uh, look, this is the type of stuff I like, and I think this is really highlighting the you know, the potential of the flexibility of what the electric drivetrains will offer um, car makers because... The, just like what we're going to be seeing with the Hummer um, EV from from GM is that 
this opened the door uh, for a lot more possibilities and, and a way to play with a lot of different concepts. And, you know, off-roading is obviously that next frontier now and there's benefits drawn from an electric vehicle where you get so much more torque. So imagine... Um, you know the that ability to crawl rocks you're basically limited by the grip of the tire more than the torque of the engine um in there and i think that just uh you know opens the door wide open for what you know could be considered possible and i know that off-roading there's some crazy extreme stuff but um yeah i think for a regular road going vehicle or you know slightly extreme you know modified sort of route yeah there's um some cool possibilities to to be explored um because otherwise you know I, I look at this and go practically you know why does mercedes need to explore and i think it's more along the lines of because they can and perhaps somebody wanted to and they said go for it exactly but look, uh, so yeah, what what do you have uh, moving forward? So obviously you've got a few more travel um, options. You've got a lot more lot more work coming up. Um, no no reviews just yet. Um, Not just yet. Well, I think yeah. well they're saying that we might see some. Um, they're planning to sort of open us up possibly towards the end of. Uh, the month we might see a bit more freedoms again um, so depending on how the next set of week goes I hope to start reaching out to some of our um, brands down here and hopefully start getting some stuff scheduled in to, for maybe November and leading up to Christmas um, yeah. so yeah that's what I'm hoping as things start to to open up but yeah I think the next set of week will be a bit of a telltale for us in terms of um, our numbers and stuff like that and if they stay stable and or even you know head to zero um i think that'll be important and then we can uh, hopefully look ahead so um yeah and you'll have some fun with those um uh outlanders and the two options that you yeah. got to drive there so we should see how <laughs> here how you go yeah absolutely it's going to be um an interesting uh little exercise and um yeah it's nice to to come up with these few different comparisons um particularly when they're last minute <laughs> as well um but yeah no it's uh if you do have any questions of uh things that you would like us to review or even buying advice uh we're more than happy to to answer those uh you can always send us an email at shows at dailyautofix.com or alternatively you can send those questions in uh through our social media channels at daily autofix or even follow joel at joel strick photo and um, we'll be able to answer those on next week's uh or at least a future episode from there um but yeah make sure you follow us on on, on youtube you visit us at dailyautofix.com and uh also importantly rate and review us on uh the apple podcast app or um the podcast app of choice if it allows you to, to leave a review that would be great uh, but until then uh, thanks Joel thanks for joining us this week thanks Ash thank you and uh, we'll see hopefully see you all next time <laughs>